Hello, I'm Buttons Padin for UK Sailmakers, and welcome to another episode of Lessons Learned. Today, I'm here with Brendan Huffman, who is one of the co-owners of the UK Sailmakers Loft in uh, Marina Del Rey, in the LA area. Hello, Brendan. Hi, Buttons. How are you? Just great. What we're going to talk about today is an adventure that Brendan just completed, where he took his Santa Cruz 33 and raced it in the single-handed Transpac race. Uh, and did very well. But tell us a little bit about the race. Oh, it's so much fun. Uh, this was my second single-handed Transpac on the Santa Cruz 33. And that's a 2,100-mile race from San Francisco to Hanalei Bay, which is uh, on the northern tip of Kauai. Uh, the race goes back to 1978. It's kind of the counterculture of offshore races. It's an eclectic group of single-handers, a lot of talent, a lot of interesting boats. And it's been a goal of mine to do since I was a kid. So I was finally able to do it. And it was um, a lot of fun, but challenging. I'm glad I did it two years ago and then came back to do it again. I came back so much wiser and more experienced and more determined and focused on what I needed to do to do better. That's interesting what you said. You, you learned. What are the three things that you learned two years ago that, that helped you this year? I was more aggressive and lighter air and more cautious and heavier air. The last race two years ago was uh, fairly slow. It took me 15 and a half days. Didn't get really windy um, until the last third of the race. I uh, kept my spinnaker up and over 30 knots of breeze and while the boat was able to handle it and it was a blast. When I was taking it down, I, I rounded up. Uh, water came in through an open port light, shorted out a lot of my electronics, including my primary autopilot. So 400 miles from the finish, I was out of the race because I couldn't carry a chute anymore. And my backup autopilot wasn't able to steer well um, in heavy seas and, you know, 20, 25 knots of breeze all the time. Yeah, I guess a rule one of all of the shorthanded sailing is when in doubt, take it down, right? Yeah, you, I got greedy. You were sailing a, a Santa Cruz 33, Siren. Mm -hmm. Why that boat? Uh, when I decided about five years ago that the time was right in my life to do this race, um, I was looking for a boat about that size that had standing headroom, a real toilet, not a porta potty, had a tiller and a really comfortable cockpit. And this boat fit the bill. The reason why I want a tiller instead of a wheel is because I think um, energy conservation, meaning for one's body, is very important. And I think you save a lot of that body energy by sitting down when you're steering instead of being behind the wheel, which is often at the back of the boat and exposed to heavy seas, even if you have a dodger. Um, for me, I was able to duck behind uh, the bulkhead and stay dry. In fact, this race a couple months ago, even though it was pretty rough the first few days, I never put on foul weather gear. I just had a heavy jacket on, spray pants, never really got wet. Um, I wasn't even wearing sea boots. It sounds like it was a cruise almost, but I know it wasn't. How much single-handed racing have you done? Um, I just started single-handing seriously about four or five years ago when I bought Siren. My dad and I did a lot of double-handing. Um, my dad was very involved with PSSA, which is Pacific Single-Handed Sailing Association here in Southern California. My dad um, was a big proponent of starting a double-handed fleet when I was a kid, and there was not support for that. So I remember when I was around 12, we started double-handing our Yankee 30 
just alongside the single-handers and soon after PSSA and SSS, um, single-handed sailing society in the Bay Area started allowing double-handers to go. And now there are more double-handers often than single-handers. I think the most impressive win we had double-handing was um, in the 2000 Pacific Cup from San Francisco to Kaneohe on Oahu on um, my parents' uh, Concessa 35. Old Doug Peterson IOR boat with a pinch transom, taller rig than stock, and people thought we were nuts, and uh, we won the double-handed division. I must say it was a light year, so it was perfect for an old IOR boat, but uh, the last third when it, the trades kicked in finally, yeah, it got a little rolly, but no wipeouts, and we had a blast. Yeah, the old IOR boats, um, which I sell on a bunch of them, uh, don't have a, a sterling reputation of sailing smoothly downwind. <laughs> no, but it's a lot of fun. I can imagine. Okay, single-handed transpac race. That's a big, that's a big deal. Uh Preparation. Let's talk a little bit about preparation in terms of what you had to do with the boat. What were your safety at sea considerations, provisioning, nav equipment? What did you have to go through in, in running up to this race? It's a lot to get ready. In fact, for, for a lot of people, it's overwhelming. Um, my first one was uh, planned during COVID, so I had more free time than usual. Uh, my kids were older and had turned 16 and could drive themselves, so I was able to focus. I think for almost anyone doing a race to Hawaii, whether it's crewed or single-handed, uh, can get overwhelmed with the safety requirements. Uh, there are a lot of details, but they're actually very important to have on board, not only race to Hawaii, but anytime you go sailing, um, which I can talk more about the PFDs and AIS later. But to answer your question, yeah, I, I had to do a lot of um, fixes to the engine, improvements by navigation equipment, which I didn't have really learn how my chart plotter worked better, um, how expedition works, you know, taking the mast out, uh, going through, you know, all the all the rigging systems on the boat, the old roller furler, which we almost broke the toggle off of right before the race. And thankfully we found an old Harkin dealer who had the spare part in his garage. Um, just little things like that. But I did a lot of practicing and really challenged myself to uh, learn how things on a boat work. I had tutorials from friends about how my diesel engine worked, what I'd have to do if I had to bleed the engine, if I ran out of fuel, how to hotwire the boat if the ignition switch went out. Um, and then there's a lot of the safety issues as well. Uh, my dad and I are huge proponents of handrails on deck and below deck. We've raced on so many boats where there's nothing really to hold on to. And the wider boats nowadays, it's almost dangerous. If you are heeled over and you're falling from the starboard side to the port side, you know, that could be a 15-foot drop before you hit a stanchion or the shroud or the other side of the cockpit. And my girlfriend got a concussion on board my boat about a year ago. So that really opened my eyes to um, how important it is to have a lot of handholds around the boat. That's an interesting point, in addition to your, your jack lines that you hook into. But you're right. Some of these modern boats, there's just nothing to grip. Okay, you are a sailmaker. I'm sure you went into this wind up for the race with some pretty good sales on the boat but what was your existing inventory like what were you missing and where did you go from there yeah it's an interesting question um, that i've had with customers who are single handers or want, want to do shorthanded offshore cruising and what i decided to do was keep the roller furler but buy a new x drive 125 percent headsole 
Um, it's not a deck sweeper. We made the clue a little higher because most of the racing and sailing is actually uh, either cracked off or off the wind. Very rarely is there a leg where you're close hauled. So when I was close hauled with that sail, um, I'd be pointing five degrees lower. But as soon as we cracked off, the sail shape was fantastic with that with that higher clue. Now off the wind, my general rule is when it's 20 knots, take the spinnaker down and go wing and wing. And that 125% sail with the higher clue went off the wind, fantastic. Anytime there, I had 14 or 15 knots true, my VMG was very good um, and almost comparable to using a spinnaker. Yeah, the other thing about a high clue jib like that is visibility. Absolutely. So that's what I recommend to cruisers looking for a new headsole is let's not get a deck sweeper. You're not going to be close hauled a lot of the time and you, you know, need I, to um, keep a good lookout. I have a good friend that does a lot of double-handed sailing on an Express 37 and he uses hacks. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because when I first was looking at pictures of you on Siren and they asked you in your single-handed transpack, I noticed that you didn't have hanks that you were using a headset foil, but it, it does have a roller on um, it. does. So we put a foam luff on it, which is standard for a lot of cruising boats, so that I could reef it. So when I started both single-handed transpacks, um, it's pretty windy in San Francisco Bay. So um, I reefed my main. I furled the headsail a bit um, until I got the right balance I wanted. And yeah, 15 miles later, I was able to unfurl it and start heading towards Hawaii. However, in the second race... This year, um, it got windy once we got past the Farallon Islands. So it was blowing 25 to 30 off and on for a couple of days. So I was reefing the Genoa sometimes and then unfurling it all the way, you know, when the wind speed was down under 15. But it's really, really nice not have to go on the foredeck and change sails. If I were on a smaller boat, like an Express 27 or Olsen 30, I probably would favor Hanks. Um, but on a boat like this, one of the goals to stay on board is stay in the cockpit as much as you can. Yeah, an important safety tip. Um, so what, what did your sail inventory include? This year, it was very simple. I carried uh, the X-Drive mainsail, with, which had three reefs. I used two reefs this time. The 125% headsail, which stayed on the foil the whole time. I made 125% reacher out of uh, Code Zero material. And then we put a Dyneema cable in it, bought a Selden uh, furler for that. And the goal was to be able to wing out both sails when I was asleep for more uh, sail area and boat speed. And in the end, I ended up taking it off the furler in the middle of the race because I just didn't need to do that. Um, we hadn't really tested that system out before the race. However, that Reacher with the Code Zero material makes a fabulous light air headsail. So there were a couple races I did before single-handed transpack up in the bay where the wind fell below five knots and my competitors all had these stiff sails up for San Francisco Bay. And I was able to pull up this light air sail and just start zipping by boats that are much faster than me usually. And I set the autopilot to a course, not by uh, the wind angle. You know, I did so much research and talked to so many people and read their articles about this. My concern was if I had the autopilot set to a wind angle and the wind took a big shift, I could be heading towards Alaska for an hour or two and not even know it. So instead, I want to know if there's a wind shift because I could feel it down below even in my sleep. And then I could jump on deck 
make adjustments either to the autopilot or the sail trim and really shoot for the the VMG that I was going for. Okay, so you had you had a uh, a 125 roller furling with a foam loft. You had the 125 Reacher. Essentially, it's like a code zero, right? Uh, a little smaller, yeah, more yeah. like a okay. code. With your mainsail, uh, yeah. spinnakers? Yeah, I had uh, some new and old spinnakers, but I ended up only using um, one spinnaker this entire race, uh, an A2 um, built by UK. The boat speed was so good with it, and it's so so much easier to steer with an asymmetrical spinnaker and trim to it as well. That's the only spinnaker I used this race. Two years ago, I made several spinnaker changes, which was exhausting, especially when you're packing a spinnaker and it's so humid on down below your boat. Um, I carried an S1, an S2, and then a very old 1.5 ounce spinnaker, but this time um, only the A2, which I was able to carry very well downwind, anything between 12 knots true to uh, 25. I had about a two or three hour period where the wind had built over 25 and it was morning daylight. So I decided I feel pretty good. I'm going to carry it a while and try to uh, stay on top of it. No mishaps. Um, the wind dropped a little bit to under 20. So I just carried that shoot all day. And, and, and this is off a pole though, right? Yeah, it's off. Of, there's no bow sprit. So it's able to pull back and sail pretty deep with it. This was largely a downwind race. Did you use staysails at all? Normally I would in a crude race or even a double-handed race, but this time I did not. Again, I'm trying to minimize my time on the foredeck and I didn't think it would give me that much of an advantage. However, had I been double-handed or on a crude boat, for sure we would be using staysails. You used your A2. Did you have it in a dousing sock? Um, at first I did. Uh, the first couple sets I used a dousing sock, which I had just purchased and again, hadn't practiced with. Um, it went up and down okay, but I decided that I didn't need it. My boat was small enough that just doing a, a letterbox uh, takedown would be fine. For cruisers, I would recommend a dousing sock. For racers, probably not. However, if I were on a Cal 40, uh, which is a much bigger spinnaker, I would use a dousing sock, and the Cal 40s did use dousing socks. You said you chose X-Drive sales. Why X-Drive? Yeah, I have more experience with, with X-Drive sales. To me, they're more cost-efficient. Titanium is UK's top-of-the-line brand, which I recommend to customers who are really trying to maximize uh, their boat speed, especially when they're competing at a very high level, um, like maybe Big Boat Series or Transpac. And we've had a lot of success with those titanium. I think um, X-Drive was better for me because I was spending so much money on my boat. I like the material. I like the design. So both my main sole and head sole were white X-Drive. And I like that because they're easy to trim at night as well as be seen um, over the horizon. In fact, in this last race, um, I saw freighters at least once a day. Sometimes they saw me before I saw them. I'd show up on their radar, um, but they'd hail me on the radio sometimes. Um, and we'd chat for a few minutes and it was nice to hear compliments that not only could they th see my sails from across the horizon, uh, but they look great. But then I have to assume you also had like a storm trisole and a storm jib just in case. 
Yeah, those are required. Um, actually, the storm uh, trisole I did not need to bring because the third reef in the main reduced the sail area enough. But the fact of the matter is, if it's ever windy enough where you actually need the third reef, everyone's going to take their mainsails down anyway. I borrowed my girlfriend's storm jib off her Catalina 34, which was the uh, right size, but never needed to use it. What sails did you build new for this year's race? I didn't buy any new sails uh, for this year. Everything was from two years ago. My X-Drive mainsail and headsail um, were three or four years old, had already been to Hawaii. So now they've done two crossings to Hawaii. And the sail shape is as good as it was four years ago. Who helped you design and build the sails? Well, I got a lot of great input from various lofts around the country. I had a lot of conversations with my partner, Oliver McCann, a lot of conversations with Stuart Dahlgren, and obviously a lot of great conversations with Pat Considine in Chicago, who designed all my sails. Um, buttons, I also donated my boat when I got to Kauai to a sailing school, uh, Kauai Sailing Association, and we went out for a sail before I flew home. They were really impressed that those sails were not brand new because they looked brand new. Not only were they clean, but their shape, even in 20 plus knots of breeze, was the same shape it had been uh, three or four years ago. It says a lot about the sails themselves and also the way you care for them. The race itself, you said it took you 15 days, and that was the other one. Two How years ago, days? yeah, two years ago, 15 and a half days, because we were becalmed for almost two days, and it was just pretty light. Yeah, it was slow leaving the coast uh, the first time, meaning it was pretty light, but uh, that's, those were really good conditions for me. This year, um, it got pretty windy going past the Fairlawn Islands, and we're almost close hauls. So it was a very tight reach. I was a little overpowered at times. The boat is very uh, tender and very bouncy. In 1977, this boat was called a ULDB. Uh, nowadays, um, it's heavier than a lot of 33-foot boats, so it's not really in the ULDB category anymore. And your, your results were what? Well, this year, um, I won my class and was fifth overall. Last time, I did not do well partially because uh, my autopilot got shorted out. Um, and I had two Cal 40s in my class uh, that are very competitive in any race to Hawaii. In fact, the Cal 40s this year finished first and second overall. Um, and this was a, a race where you wanted a lot of waterline, which they had. And the Cal 40s are so smooth. Uh, they carry their spinnakers 24-7 usually, even when they're asleep because the boat's... Um, are just so stable off the wind. My boat is not. So when I did experiment with going down below with the autopilot on and the spinnaker, I got a wrap around my head stay, which thankfully I was able to get out. But it was 20 minutes on the bow, thinking that I'd just blown it again. Now your boat's a resident and, and, and part of the, the Kauai uh, Sailing Association. What's next for Brendan? Well, my dad and I have a Catalina 42 here in uh, San Pedro. So I've been going to Catalina a lot and enjoying being on a boat that is much more stable, <laughs> as a, is a lot more accommodating, and I can take showers at the end of the day. Um, I'll be looking for another race boat, but I'm also, um, you know, not only crewing for customers, but doing big boat series on a Santa Cruz 52. We built um, X-Drive sales for, so that'll be fun, getting ready for Puerto Vallarta race next year. 
and deciding whether to accept an invitation to sail to Tahiti next summer or do Pacific Cup, kind of torn. If I'd race to Hawaii, that'll be my 10th race to Hawaii, which is a nice milestone. But I've done several in recent years and I'm ready for a slightly different challenge. What are the three things that you would suggest to somebody who's new, in this case, to single-handed offshore racing? Yeah, it's, a, it's such a fun conversation for me to have uh, with customers and friends considering doing shorthanded offshore sailing. And I think the first important thing is to be very honest, do an honest assessment of yourself. What are you physically able to do? What are your shortcomings as a sailor? What do you need to improve on and what you can do to learn? Secondly, um, I encourage people to buy a boat that they can manage. A lot of friends have purchased larger boats especially in older age, and they can't take them out without friends to help them um, fertile sails, fold sails, even going into the dock. The larger the sail, the more strength you need to pull the sails up and sheet them in. So I think having a boat that's manageable is, is important too in the 30 to 35 foot range. And third, keep practicing, just have fun with it, go sailing and Keep being honest with yourself and how you can improve, but what you can do to make your boat easier to sail as well as safer to sail. Well, Brendan Huffman, thanks for sharing your sea stories and, and a lot of what you've learned over the years doing the single-handed sailing. And to our listeners and viewers, thank you for joining us in Lessons Learned. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you, Buttons. 